How's everybody doing? <laughs> Someone back there is having a good day. Good. I'm glad. Hey, did anyone get to, uh, get to ride on the new golf carts, right? No? Anybody? Yeah. We always worried about getting people signed up for the parking team. We're probably going to have a ton now. Um, and um, it was funny. We had those delivered the other day, and uh, the guy dropped them off, and I'm just going to be straight up honest with you guys. I want it to snow one good time this year because I want to do donuts in the parking lot. And, uh, and I asked the guy, I asked the guy dropping them off, I was like, hey, are these rear wheel drive? And he goes, why do you ask? And I'm like, no reason. <laughs> and then he brought it up. He goes, they can do donuts. And I'm like, hey, I just, you know, I, we just want to, you know, get people to their cars. And, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, donuts, man. That's what I'm talking about. I left here at the 11 uh, last week, and, and I walked out with Phil down this side, and I just didn't, I guess I just never knew how, how far some of you walk, um, like parked in factories like three blocks down the road. I'm like, we need to do something about this. So um, don't feel like weird or whatever about riding on those. They're cool and uh, they're fast and um, your kids will love it. So let us take you to your car and have some fun. And one's purple. So that's just kind of cool, right? All right, cool. All right. So, um, we are working through the book of 2 Timothy. If you've never been here before, uh, we go through whole books of the Bible, and, and we've been in two books, we're about to wrap up this second one, um, that are pretty heavy, and today is exceptionally heavy, and I'll tell you why here in a second, but what these two books of the Bible are, they are letters from an older man named Paul, who at this time, while he wrote these, was in jail for his faith, and he's writing them to a younger protege of his, a guy named Timothy. And so there's a lot of instruction, there's a lot of encouragement, there's a lot going on in these letters, but what is interesting about today's lesson in particular is we have a man that is coming to the end of his life. He's about to die. In fact, he actually says that in this chapter. His life is coming to a close, he says this. So this chapter is a little bit more heavy than, than usual. We are reading the last writings of the Apostle Paul who died for his faith, this guy who wrote 70% of the New Testament wrote most of what our Christian doctrine and theology kind of revolves around. Very, very important man and right at the tail end of his life. So last week we talked about in chapter three that God gives us certain instruments or tools that we're to use. In, in particular, in chapter three, he talks about the, the word of God. That's a great instrument, right? It gives us the words of wisdom for salvation. It gives us rebuking and correcting and teaching and training. And it's very, very important. We also talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us and the works of the Holy Spirit and, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that the church is a gift and an instrument that God has given us and that prayer is a gift, all these different gifts. But this week, where we're going to hang out, and guys, I'm just, I'll just tell you right up front, it's, it's heavy. It's very deep. It's very almost overwhelming when you think about it, but we're going we're gonna to talk about eternity, and we're going to talk about the enormity and the severity of eternity, because this chapter today is written from a guy who is about to enter into his eternity, and we can see it in the words, okay? So it's deep. It's, it's, it's a little sad even, but that's okay. It's going to be good for us, and we'll learn a lot from it. So um, you should have got a notes handout, regardless of what side you came in, has everything I'm going to say in there. Everything should be on the screens in case you didn't get one of those. If you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament, so we're towards the back. In the second book of Timothy in chapter four, it's not very long, we'll get through it relatively quick. 
If you have your uh, smartphone, the Experience Community app has everything. It has all the, uh, uh, the sermon notes, all the scripture, everything like that in there. So that's a very, very handy tool. If you're a Greek scholar in here, I'm probably going to botch some names. I don't know if there's any Greek scholars in the audience, but one day there will be. And uh, I'll probably botch some names on that day. So I'm just preparing myself. So um, we're going to pray. We'll jump into this. And I um, hope that we take a little bit of time at the end just to kind of really think about how big of a lesson this is. Okay? All right. Let me pray. Lord, I just want to tell you, thank you, God. I love this church. I love the people in this church, God. I love uh, our community. Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on us today. God, I pray that you teach us something today, that you encourage us, that you help us and strengthen us, God. Lord, we don't just pray for our church, Lord. We pray, Lord, for every church in our community. We pray, God, for the nonprofits we work with. We pray, God, that your kingdom can advance in Murfreesboro and in Rutherford County and in the state of Tennessee, our nation, and God, all all corners of the world. Lord, we just pray that uh, you teach us something new today, God. Lead us, direct us, show us grace. And um, Lord, let us leave here just feeling closer to you and more secure in you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm gonna read a little bit. I'm gonna go back and break it down. Remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy, Okay. Paul writes, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is, the, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not want to tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Like I said, this is the end of Paul's life. This isn't just his last correspondence to Timothy, his, his beloved protege. This is Paul's last contribution to us, to the Bible. So as he wraps up this letter, he emphatically charges his protege. He gives a charge to them. He's basically saying, Timothy, you got to promise that you're going to do what you've been trained to do. You have to promise in front of God and Christ that you are going to do everything I have taught you to do. Now, this is a motivational thing specifically for Timothy, but it works beyond just Timothy. It's for all of us. All of us have been charged by God. If we're a Christian in this place and our responsibility may be small, it may just be our family and our spouse and maybe our block or whatever the case may be, or maybe this huge responsibility to be a global leader or whatever the case may be, we all have a charge from God and that charge is to finish what we started. We live in a culture now to where we start a lot of stuff, but we don't finish a lot of stuff. And the Bible actually says it's better to finish something than to start it. And so we are called by God and encouraged from Paul, Christians, follow through on what you say you're going to do. Do what you're supposed to do. We're also to take our identity seriously. If we call ourselves Christian, that's a big title. That means we need to take careful consider consideration and evaluate how we're living. Why? Because God is going to judge the living and the dead. This is a very sobering thought. 
We may be able to hide our sin from other people. We may be able to put on the mask and everyone think we're great all the time, but God sees us. He sees us all the time. He knows everything about us. And I'm not trying to scare you today, but we have to talk about it. Paul says that one day Christ is going to appear again. The Bible says he's gonna split the eastern sky and come back and he's gonna judge all people. So here's what the book of Revelation says, guys. Every single one of us in this room, one day, is gonna find ourselves sitting in front of the righteous judge and we're gonna have to give an account of our lives. You're not gonna be able to blame your parents. You're not gonna be able to blame me. You're not gonna be able to blame your neighbor or, or the person next to you in the cubicle or anything else. It's gonna be you, Jesus Christ, and the Bible says a book of our deeds. That's a sobering thought and one that we should really take seriously. And so what is the charge that Paul gives Timothy? What is he charging him to do? The first part of the charge is he says, Timothy, teach the word. What is the word? It's that entire book. It's the Old Testament. It's the gospels. It's the letters of the apostles. We're reading one today to teach all of that. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have some personal opinions or that we can't offer some theories and things like that, but we're to stick to the major principles of that book, the essentials of that. So it's as easy as this. Paul says, just stick to the word. Just stick to the word of God. Teach it, anchor yourself to it, just stick to the word of God. He also says, be ready. Be ready in season and be ready out of season. What does that mean? That means be ready all the time. So we need to act like Christ all the time. We need to be committed to Christ all the time. We need to be modeling our faith and not just modeling our faith. Paul says that we need to be communicating our faith. Well, how? That sometimes we have to rebuke people. No one likes that. No one likes doing it. No one likes receiving it. But sometimes it's what's best for us. Sometimes we need to look at each other and we need to you know, be looked at and have someone say, you're wrong. That's wrong. You can't do that. But we don't leave it at your wrong. We go to correcting. Hey, listen, that's wrong, but let me show you the correct thing to do. And we need to encourage people to do the correct thing. And here's where it gets hard. We need to be patient with people. And we need to continue to teach them. This is not easy, but this is the charge that we're called to give. Here's the hard part about this charge, though. Even if we do this perfectly, even if we do it perfectly, some people are not going to accept it. You know how some people say, well, all people don't go to church because the church is this or the church is that. Some people don't come to church because they're awful, right? They don't wanna do what's right. They don't wanna be good. They wanna be evil. They don't wanna do what the Lord wants them to do. So even if the church does everything perfectly, even if you are always nice to people, you're always truthful with people, you are 100% what you're supposed to be, some people will only listen to what they want to listen to. It's just a fact. But here's the thing. Oscar Wilde, the, the author, said this. A good friend will stab you in the front. <laughs> Something to remember. So sometimes that hurts. Ooh, wow, you just stabbed me right in the front. But we do that because we love each other. We tell each other the truth. We have parameters. God gives us parameters because we need parameters. Just like a, a goldfish in a bowl, Right? And society right now would tell you that that goldfish in a bowl, they're confined. You gotta let it free, man. So pick up the goldfish bowl, pour it out, and you're like, you're free, goldfish. It's gasping, right? Suffocating. You're free, no, no constraints. And the Bible even says where there is no direction, people die. 
There has to be parameters. There has to be guidelines. And we need to learn to submit to God and to trust God because God knows what's good for us. That's hard, but we have to do it. We also need to judge a tree by its fruit. Right now, culture screams and yells at us all the time. Hey, cast off restraints, worship whatever you wanna worship, worship yourself, do whatever you wanna do, and everything is gonna be great. But society is not producing that fruit. Jesus said some really simple yet really profound things. One of the things Jesus said, he goes, you can tell a tree by its fruit. And we're like, well, duh, right? How do you know it's an apple tree? There's apples on it. But Jesus said you can do that with all walks of life. So if society tells you that all of this quote unquote freedom leads you to happiness and suicide rates go up and divorce rates go up and anxiety and depression go up and broken homes go up, the fruit doesn't match the claim. So this whole do what you wanna do, listen to what you wanna listen to mentality is not working. On the flip side of that, God's direction points out in us where we're wrong. Now, we don't like that. We don't like it. When God says, Corey, that's wrong. I don't like that. But what that does, when God points out the darkness in me, he brings the light to it and that starts to heal me. It shows us where, we wrong, where we're wrong. It shows us what is real and what's not real. God gives us grace and ultimately God gives us freedom. And the fruit matches what it claims to do. And so Paul says to Timothy, you gotta be self-controlled. The world is nuts and you have to live a contrasting life to that in the prevailing culture around you, Timothy. But if we're to achieve that, we can't lose our minds when times get hard. That's why I tell you guys, don't watch too much news. I know you need to be informed, I know that, but man, don't be glued to the television. They just wanna scare the bejesus out of you. That's how they make their money, is you glued to it and they, they just scare you to death. Turn that off, man. We're not to panic, we're not to lose our minds. And in order to remain self-controlled, we have to be full of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of fruit, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So we have to have God in us. We also find self-control by reading the Bible, by praying. And quite frankly, guys, sometimes we just need to hit our knees and say, God, it is hard right now, help me, and he will help you. He will comfort you, he will counsel you, he'll come through for us, okay? All right. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but all of those who have loved his appearing. What Paul is doing, look what he says, my time is coming to a close. What Paul is doing is he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, here's the torch, it's yours. I can't do anything else. I've done all I can do. I'm about to be executed, now it's your turn. Do it better than I did it. Listen, the greatest leaders in your life, the greatest parents, the greatest bosses, the greatest teachers and and government leaders, the best people in your life are the ones that hand the torch to the generation coming up and they say, man, run further than I ran. Be brighter than what I did, right? That's what the best leaders do. Even Jesus Christ did this. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you guys are going to do greater things than I did. Now, a lot of Christians misinterpret that scripture. They think we're gonna do greater miracles than Jesus, and that's not possible. 
You're not gonna get murdered, resurrect yourself from the dead and forgive the sins of humanity. Not gonna happen. You're not gonna do anything better than what Jesus did. So what that scripture means is Jesus just taught in this little bitty area called Israel. He looked at his followers and said, look, I took the truth right here. You're gonna take the truth into the entire globe. And that's what good leaders do. That's how good of a leader Jesus is. Here, you're gonna burn bright. He even says in Matthew chapter five, you're the salt, you're the light. Rock and roll, right? I added that part. Go out into the world and do something amazing. <laughs> and so Paul attributes his life to a sacrifice. If you've ever tried to read the, the, the Bible starting in Genesis, it's great, you're going through Genesis, this is awesome. You eventually get to Numbers and you're like, oh, what's happening here, right? <laughs> Look at this. Paul actually uses a chunk from Numbers chapter 15. And so all the Bible is good and pertinent and there for a reason. He pulls this chunk from chapter 15 of Numbers and he attributes his life as a sacrifice being poured out. And Paul says, he, he, he uses an analogy of his life, three analogies. He says, my life has been fighting the good fight. What we learn from that is life is tough. There is spiritual warfare. We have to pray. We have to read the word. We have to stick by Jesus. We have to fight a good fight. Paul also says, I finished the race, which means he didn't just give his life to Jesus and then kind of quit until he died. He was pushing forward. He was running the race. Those of you older people in here, I don't care if you're 80, 90 years old, if there's still breath in your lungs, there's still a race that needs to be ran. God is not done with you yet. He needs more out of you, right? He wants more out of you. We have to run the race until the very, the very end. And the last thing Paul said is he says, I kept the faith, which means I held on to sound doctrine, sound theology. I fought a fight, I ran the race, and I kept my faith throughout it. Now, the reason he could do that is Paul understood there was a reward. He understood that something was coming. He could endure all those things because Paul said, I'm going to inherit a crown of righteousness from a righteous judge. What does that mean? That means eternity. Paul understood that the things he did in this life were going to resonate into the next life, that he was gonna have an eternity. Get, I mean, look at this. Paul knows that he's gonna die, but Paul knows they may take his head, but they cannot take his spirit. They cannot take his soul. They cannot take his words that God gave him. And all the pain of this life will not be in the next life. Paul understood that. That's why he could endure what he endured. Now, all of us should be encouraged by that. If you're a Christian in this room, as hard as this life gets, man, this life can be brutal. But we need to understand that there's another life beyond this, and it will be perfect. We will have perfect bodies, we'll be in a perfect environment, and we will hang out with Jesus Christ forever. What a lot of Christians forget, though, is we forget that this is not our home. We are migrants passing through this life on our way to something far better. We need to remember that sometimes, okay? Make every effort to come see me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved the present world and has gone on to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus 
as well as the scrolls and the parchment. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposes our words. This is a very important slide, and I hope you guys take note of this today. It's important. Listen, Paul understood that his eternity was very close. He understood that he was going to be with Jesus soon. He understood that he was going to live in heaven for eternity. He understood all that. But at the end of Paul's life, he was lonely. Guys, you ever see that when people post on social media like, too blessed to be stressed? Listen, guys, I'm blessed. I know I'm blessed. And sometimes I get stressed the heck out. Why? Because as Christians, though I believe we're to have contentment, I believe we're to be fulfilled and have purpose, but we are not to fake it till we make it. That's a bad idea. We are not to do those things. We are not to, we're not to feel like we have to exhibit perpetual happiness all the time. Guys, I'm gonna give you some, some leeway here today. It is okay as a Christian to sometimes look up to God and say, God, this life sucks sometimes. Everyone's with me, right? Does no one else's life suck sometimes? I just, I, maybe it's just mine, right? I don't wanna be a pastor. I get it, right? But it is okay sometimes to say, this isn't good. This isn't fun. Work is not good. It is hard. This life is hard, but God knows that if we will just lean on him, we'll get through those times. We'll be okay, but it is okay to throw your hands up sometimes and go, God, man, this isn't cool. I am not loving this right now. That is completely okay. God's not offended by that. We also need to know that people are gonna let us down. People will let you down. Paul mentions a guy named Demas who is a Christian. This guy didn't desert the faith. He deserted Paul. Paul said this guy loved the world more than he loved doing ministry. This guy's mentioned three times in the Bible that I know of. He's mentioned in Colossians, Philemon, and he's mentioned here in 2 Timothy. And he probably remained a saved Christian, but he dipped out of the ministry because a lot of humans naturally seek safety. So there's some people, even Christians, even people in this room, who will let you down on some level. They will opt out of doing the hard, messy work in favor for just kind of playing it safe. That doesn't mean they're gonna burn in hell for eternity, but they're just not gonna do the things that you might want to do. And they may let you down, and we have to let it go because there will be others that will press through that. There will be others that will step up to the plate. And Paul mentioned this one guy, Demas, that kind of opted out but he says, Cretans and Titus and Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, they stepped up to the plate and they pushed forward and they did what God wanted them to do. And though a lot of people may drop off and a lot of people will not want to go into the darkest corners of society and bring the light, others will. And even Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, Paul said, send Mark, he's good for the ministry. Now, what's interesting about that is Mark kind of, I almost said, the, I was about to say the P word, but that's not a good word. He really ticked Paul off once upon a time, right? If you can connect the dots there. Mark had messed up and, and kind, of, kind of wussed out, if you will, of the ministry, but then came back to his senses and God restored Mark. He wrote a very important book of the Bible and, and Paul says, get Mark. Mark's good in the ministry. He's committed again. And so he gets back into it. So listen, we may be the ones to mess up, but if we can humble ourselves, God will pick us up and still use us for awesome things. That's encouraging. That's good. And so Paul sends this guy, Tychicus, to Ephesus to get some things for him. Now, you might've been reading this with me a second ago and been like, 
why is this important, right? Hey, pick these things up for me. Why is that important? At the end of Paul's life, as he's about to die, look at what he asks for. He says, hey, can you, can you bring me my friend Carpus? Can you bring my cloak, which would have doubled as a blanket? Can you bring me the scrolls, which is the, the, the Old Testament? And you, can you bring me some paper to write on? At the end of Paul's life, he wasn't like, hey, can I go for another ride in the Mercedes? He wasn't like, hey, can I watch six more hours of Stranger Things, then I can die? He, he wasn't like that. Paul said, I wanna be with my friends, I wanna be warm, and I wanna read the scripture. That's all he wanted to do at the end of his life, be with the people he loved, stay warm at night, and be encouraged by the scripture. It's very interesting. He also gives Timothy some advice. This is very important too. He says, Timothy, there's this guy named Alexander who did great harm to him. Now, we don't know it for a fact, but most theologians believe it was this Alexander guy that probably had Paul thrown in jail, which led to Paul's beheading, his death. Now, Alex was not just an enemy of Paul. Alex was an enemy of Christianity. So he said, Paul said, Timothy, stay away from this guy. He's bad news. He didn't say, Timothy, go break his kneecaps. Hey, Timothy, slander him. Hey, Timothy, like, get your friends to make fun of him and mock him. Hey, do all these things. He said, Timothy, stay away from him. God will deal with him, <laughs> which is even scarier than your knees broken and everything else, right? Let God deal with that person. And so Timothy said, okay, I'll just let God deal with this person, all right? Last part, okay? Paul says, at my first defense, no one stood by me. Everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it, all the non-Jews. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Aristus has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Ebulus greets you. So do Pudens, Linus, and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The last words that Paul ever writes right here. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. So Paul mentions that when he was down, when he was brought to trial, no one was there. Just like Jesus Christ, no one was there for him either. But listen, here's what Paul does. Paul understood that people were scared. So Paul doesn't hate on them. He doesn't say bad things about the people that deserted him. He said, don't let it be counted against him. God forgive them. They, they were scared. Here's what we learned from this, guys. People are going to fail you, and we can choose one or two options if they fail us. We can get bitter, but you know what the bitterness does? It just hurts you. It's like a cancer inside of our soul. We can either become bitter, or we can show grace. And we can let it go and say, God, bless them. Don't, don't hold it against them. They're just people. We make mistakes, and we can show them grace and mercy. We also need to be reminded that the Lord always comes through. Regardless of what the circumstances are, God is going to work it out. Look at Paul's life. God is sovereign over all things. He overcomes all human efforts. He overcomes all human failures. And listen, we're not hurting God's feelings. Just like I said earlier, when life does suck sometimes, when we look up to God and say, God, I don't get it. 
I don't understand. God's not shocked or like, how dare you question me? That's not what he's doing. He loves us. And we have to know, even if we don't understand why everything that's happening, we as Christians have to understand God is good. He's smarter than me. He loves me. He knows what he's doing. And look at Paul's life. I'm sure Paul several times was like, God, I'm about to die. What is happening here? But look at what God did even through Paul's death. We have been studying Paul's words for 2,000 years. They have shaped the faith. This man wrote 70% of the New Testament. Almost all Christian doctrine comes from the hand of Paul. Look at what God has done. They took his head, but they couldn't take his words. They couldn't take his soul. They couldn't take his heart because God was with him. God delivered him even though they took his body. And so he was rescued from the lion's mouth. Look at Paul's attitude. All these theologians debate, who is the lion? Well, if you know anything about Roman history, the Caesar that had Paul and Peter killed was Caesar Nero. He was bat crap crazy, man. I'm escaping all these bad words. You see how I'm doing that? Anyways. (laughs) Nero was crazy, an awful person, had two of the greatest men that's ever lived. He had them executed, right? One beheaded and one crucified upside down. Some people think he was referring to Caesar Nero. Other people think he's referring to the devil because Peter in another book of the Bible referred to Satan as a roaring lion. Now look at this, guys, this is so important. Regardless of who the lion is that Paul is referring to, what's interesting about about 200 years after Paul's death, one of the other Caesars became a Christian and made the global religion of the Roman Empire Christianity. So if that was the lion, that lion lost The religion of the world became Christianity under the rule of a Caesar. Not only that, if you skip to the back of your Bible, in Revelation chapter 12, it says, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the strength of our testimony. That lion's gonna lose too. And we are gonna be forever with Jesus Christ. That lion is going to be bound. So whatever the lion is that Paul is referring to, all lions lose when they come up against Jesus Christ. So it's gonna be okay. So the end of Paul's letter to Timothy, it it contains kind of last minute instructions. Paul wants to make sure that his closest friends have been communicated to. Now, two of Paul's closest friends were Priscilla and Aquila. It was a man and a woman, a married couple. It has a different name for her, Prisca. That's basically like an endearing, shorter version of her name. So if you have a best friend whose name is Jonathan, call him John, right? Because you're close. That's the same thing that's going on here. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers with Paul. They sacrificed and and, and led with Paul and they they risked their lives for him. The other guy that is mentioned, Onesiphorus, he did give his life for Paul. He's mentioned earlier in this book for visiting Paul. More than likely he was killed for visiting Paul in jail and because of his faith. And Paul wants to make sure that this guy is kind of immortalized, if you will, in Christian thought. And he mentions him twice in this book. And then we have the last words of Paul. Think about this for a second. After sending Timothy these kind of last greetings, hey, say hi to these friends and please, if you get a chance, Timothy, come see me before winter. And then he says kind of a little prayer for Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. But the very last thing Paul says, listen, this is important. It wasn't just for Timothy, it's for us. It was plural. Paul says, grace be with you all. Grace be with all of you. 
Why did Paul leave us with these words? Because Paul knew that this life was hard. He knew that it was going to be a fight. It was going to be a marathon. It was going to be challenging. And Paul knew that we needed grace. Paul says, grace. You need grace. Grace be with you. In one of the other books that Paul wrote, he said, we need grace upon grace. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to come up short. We're going to be lonely. It's going to be tough. Grace. Grace be with you. What we have here in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, we have the last words and the last communication from one of the most important men that's ever lived. But as important as Paul was, his life was short in the grand scheme of things. Now James, who wrote another book of the Bible, he was Jesus' literal brother. He wrote in chapter 4 of his contribution to the Bible. This is what James says about life, all of our lives. James says, we don't know what tomorrow brings. We're smoke that appears for a little while, then we vanish. That's life. That's life. I know that sounds a little depressing, a little heavy. But what James means by that is this. Regardless of how intelligent we are, regardless of how much money we have, regardless of how healthy we are right now in this moment, regardless of our influence, regardless of our popularity and our fame, none of us in this room can stop death. In fact, the Bible says every single man and woman has an appointed time to die. Not only do we have an appointed time to die, we're not promised longevity. Even if you're a young, healthy person here, we're not promised tomorrow. We can't dictate tomorrow and what it brings. So we have to see a bigger picture. Guys, in 2017, 2017, just two years ago, I did, me personally, I did 14 funerals in 2017. And the church wasn't near as big as it is now. Over half of those funerals were for people under the age of 40. I'm about to be 40 pretty soon. It seems very young to me. I'm pretty healthy and my kids are still small. And I did eight funerals that year for people under the age of 40. They didn't know what tomorrow was gonna bring. Their families didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. Some of those people were believers, and unfortunately, some of them weren't believers. Here's the thing, though. Though all of us have an appointed time to die, though none of us can predict tomorrow, we can prepare. How do we prepare? We prepare by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means that come hell or high water, come recession, come war, come famine, come whatever, if we are tethered to Jesus Christ, we'll be okay. Even if they take our bodies, even if they take our homes, God forbid, if they take our families, we'll make it, we'll be okay because we have leaned on Jesus Christ. And we have to know today that tomorrow we'll have hurdles. How do we know this? Because Jesus Christ said, in this life, there will be suffering. In this world, there will be suffering. But Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Amen. The only way to overcome, listen, the, over, the only way to overcome the hurdles of the future is you have to be tethered to the one that has the future in his hand. That's the only way. How do we do that? Guys, you gotta pray. You gotta pray. You gotta talk to him. You need to seek out the Bible and the wisdom that this book contains. You gotta have good people around you. 
Whenever I hear people say, I don't need the church, you need the church. You may not need the experienced community church, but you need a church. You need people around you to hold you up. I don't think the family would care they've moved, but I don't think the family would care if they, they hear this, that I share this. I've talked about it before. One of the funerals that we did in 2017 was for a 15-year-old girl that came to this church. This girl was bullied and picked on online. And she went into her backyard and she tied a noose and hung herself from a tree. This girl's father had to climb up into the tree, cut his little girl out. If it weren't for the church, that family wouldn't have made it. If it weren't for people to wrap their arms around them and tell them that God is good despite this, that you have family, that you have people, that family is still in church, they still love the Lord, and that may be one of the most tragic things I've ever heard, most tragic things I've ever had to experience with a family. You need the church. We need each other. We need to know that regardless of what happens, God is still good. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. And no, no matter how bad the storm comes, if we're tethered to the strong tower that is God, not only can we withstand the storm, we can advance in the storm. You can move forward. Families can get better. Relationships can get better. The kingdom of God can move forward even when times are tough. But we have to be tied to Jesus Christ. We have to lean on him and depend on him. So what Paul understood is that there's something beyond this life. Paul understood that this life is not the most important life that we're going to live. But you know what he also understood? Listen, what we do in this life echoes forever. What we do in this life matters. How we live matters. The things that we do now set up the foundation for the life to come. So we as Christians need to remember, it's not about how much we can collect for ourselves here and now. It's what we can do for the kingdom that we're going to hopefully be in for eternity. Because this life is short. Even if you live 120 years, compared to eternity, 120 years is nothing. This life is short. So what we do now, the things we do now, it matters. So I have to ask us, all of us in this room, are we living in such a way to where we are thinking about eternity? If you don't know, here's some follow-up questions. What are we investing in now? Is life all about that promotion? Nothing wrong with promotions, but is that, what, is that what life is about? Is life all about what you can acquire, the money you can acquire, and the attention and affirmation you can acquire? Is it about you? What are we investing in? Is it all about the next house or the next car or the next you know, opportunity to have sex or the next opportunity to get drunk or high or party, what are we investing in? And is it something that's going to ripple well forever? What is it? Not just what are we investing in, who are we investing in? Are you pouring into your marriage? The reason why we're not gonna be married in heaven is because we're all married to Jesus Christ. But marriage on this earth is the closest thing to heaven that we have. It's the closest example we have of the relationship between humanity and the creator God. Are you investing in that? Marriage is a big deal. Are you pouring into your spouse? 
Are you respecting your husband? Are you loving your wife like Christ loves you? Are you investing in that? Are you pouring into your children? The Bible says if we would train children up in the ways of the Lord, they won't depart from it. Are you setting a good foundation for your children, not just in this life, but in their eternity? Are you teaching your kids to love and fear God? Are you giving them a copy of the scripture, whether it be in comic book form or children's form or whatever it is, and teaching them to love the word of God and the principles of the word of God? Who are we investing in? Are we pouring into our neighbors and our co-workers and in our schools? Are we in love more with what's here and now or are we more in love with what's going to happen in eternity? Because none of the stuff we acquire right here we can take with us. The only thing you can take from this life to the next, listen, are the people that you win to the Lord. That's it. That's it. Can't take your house. Can't take your clothes. Can't take your cars. Nothing wrong with those things. God knows you need those things. Bible says that. But they don't transcend into eternity. But the people around you do. Your spouse does. Your kids do. Your neighbors do. You want to see them in eternity. So that brings me to a very, very sobering question. How confident are you in your eternity? Think about it. I know we say, well, I'm saved. What's the evidence of that salvation? Listen, I'm not trying to scare you. That's not what I'm trying to do. But we're going to talk real for a moment. If Jesus Christ split the, the eastern sky right now, listen, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Do you feel confident that if you were to stand and look your maker in the eyes, the eyes of God, and he were to say, Corey, here's the book of your life. Let's take a look. Do you feel confident? Do you feel confident in that? Okay, if you do, let's just say you do. Do you feel confident in the people around you? Do you feel confident in your family members and their walk with the Lord and their eternity? Do you feel confident in your kids? Do you feel confident in your spouse? Do you feel confident in the people around you? Guys, this is forever. When Christ comes back, there's no, there's no second chances after that. There's no do-overs. What we've done is what we're going to be judged by. How confident are you in eternity? I know that's big. It needs to be big. That's sobering. It, it needs to be sobering. That needs to be something that kind of rattles us a little bit and says, ooh, Corey, that's a big deal. It's everything. It's everything. I love you guys. I love you guys in a way that like, it doesn't even make sense to, to me sometimes. People that I don't even know love people, love people. I'm a broken, messed up man. And if I can love you, maybe some of you need to hear this today. There's a God in heaven that is perfect, perfect. And man, he loves you a lot. And he wants to be with you forever. But listen, if we don't live a life that honors him, we will be eternally separated from our father. We will be eternally separated from a loving God. Now, I don't know exactly what hell looks like. I don't wanna know. 
but I know that God's not there. And whatever it looks like, it's gonna be bad because God's not there. It's not where I want any of you to end up. And you shouldn't want the people around you to end up there. It's a big deal. Do you bow your heads with me? Listen, I'm going to do things a little bit differently today, okay? And, and, and please just hear me out for a second as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Up on my right, your left, Dave, who's one of our pastors, is up at the corner of the stage. I'm going to ask you, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed or afraid. If you are in this room, whether you claim to follow God or, or you don't, if you are not confident in your eternity, I would love for you to come up here and talk to Dave. If you wanna ask him questions, if you wanna set a time to meet with him, whatever the case may be, Dave's a gentle, humble man. He'd love to talk with you. If maybe you are confident with your eternity, but maybe there's some loved ones in your life that you're not confident Here's what I'm gonna ask. On the, on the sides of the stage, the men and women on the sides of the stage, if there's someone in your life that you love and you're not confident about where they're gonna go, why don't you come up here to one of these men or women? You can hold hands or put a hand on each other's shoulder, whatever you wanna do, and why don't the two of you together lift up whoever this person is? God, touch my great uncle Bob. He doesn't have a relationship with you. Please, God, I love him, and I want him to love you. The Bible says we're only two or more gathered in my name. God's right in the middle. So why don't we pray for some people? The last thing is all around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's communion. That is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the wine. If you're in this room and maybe you've messed up, maybe you've gotten off the tracks, maybe you are not living the way you should, there's good news we can simply ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and we can go and we can take the body and blood of Jesus Christ that reminds us that God loves us so much he sent his only son for us. And it is God's will that none of us go to hell. It says that in the word of God, it's God's will that none perish but all come to know him. Father, I love you God, I, I know that you love us. Lord, I love this church, God. Father, if there's anyone in this room who is lost, for, for lack of a better word, if they don't have a relationship with you, if they're not living the way they should, Lord, please let them be humble enough, God, to just reach out for help. God, if we have sin in our lives that needs to be forgiven, Lord, let us repent and take communion and just remember, God, that you love us and you forgive. Lord, if there's anyone that's concerned about loved ones or friends, God, Lord, please let them join with someone else and pray for those people that you may work on their hearts, God. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Give us a day of rest tomorrow, God, on Labor Day. And thank you for this long weekend and thank you for everyone here today, God. We love you and we lift you up and we pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. I hope you have a good day of rest tomorrow.